Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome to my favorite time of the week. I'm delighted to be with Alistair Kett, who is an old friend who I've known for about 20 years actually, and uh, it's a good catch-up time. Alistair is a very successful partner in PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, and we're here in their offices right now. And uh, Alistair and I first knew each other um, in about 2000, uh, where we were both working in PwC, and we, we formed a thing called the Mufti Club, uh, which was for ex-forces people out of uniform. Mufti was a, an Indian term for, for civilian clothes. And we had a lot of fun, isn't it? Indeed, it, good fun. It was a nice way to collaborate. And Alistair's had a great career. He was, before that, he was a very successful uh, British Army officer in the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers, uh, finishing up as uh, the adjutant of his battalion, which is a, a great role to have. And uh, then British Airways was lucky enough to, uh, to get him, uh, to go and work for them, project managing for about 18 months. And from there, a natural step into PricewaterhouseCoopers doing project management in the industrial side. And um, Alistair was picked up, they realized his talents, and for the last 20 years he's been with them. A uh, variety of different roles, but particularly he did a, a stint as a partner, got a partner at a young age, out in the Middle East. Uh, doing some fascinating work, which we're going to talk about in Inspiring Leadership Extra in the session after this. Um, but Alistair, uh, over to you. Talk to me a bit about um, you know, who you found inspiring. Or what, you talked a bit about inspiring leadership, what Indeed. it means for you and that kind of stuff. Well, first of all, thank you very much for, for having me here today. It's a pleasure. It's lovely to catch up again as well. Um, I think the, the real benefit of doing a job like the one that I do is that you get a, a really broad range of views of different organizations and different people. And therefore, you see leadership in its multitude of formats. Um, and we all come at this through the lens of our own experience. So, you know, what does good leadership mean for one individual versus another? And I know what works for me and I've seen what works for others as well. Um, there are some changing themes around leadership mm. as, as society evolves. We were talking about millennials earlier and yeah. different leadership, but I do think there are some constants as well. So those individuals that I've worked with that have really inspired me, they do show some common traits. There are some some characteristics that I mm. think just pass through time. And uh, and really the, the one that does jump to mind, and I know we, we've talked about this, is this concept of authenticity. Yeah. Just the real person coming to work, showing their vulnerabilities, showing their foibles, showing, you know, uh, what they need to get done and how the individuals that they're leading can play a part in enabling that. That for me is just the sort of core foundation. Mm. Um, I remember some years ago, a friend of mine called me up and he said, uh, he rang up and said, Al, I, I hate my job and I hate myself for doing it. I was like, why? What's going on? He said, well, I've just walked into a meeting and my boss has stood in front of me and said, it's a very exciting time in the frozen food industry. <laughs> and, I, and, and he just said, I don't believe him. I don't believe it's an exciting mm. time. That, and for that that sort of moment, you realize that you're operating in this sort of bit of a theater that I've described mm. it as. And, and when you're being led if you're being led by an authentic individual that really just shows and shows you who you, who they are and, and what works for them, I just think it makes it a bit easier. Yeah. People feel more comfortable. The counter, of course, is where you are operating in an environment where you don't have that authentic leadership, that authentic individual. It becomes quite toxic quite quickly. Mm. And you, you can see issues of trust, 
misaligned goals, ambiguity, this the fog that you have to operate in in business. There's no everyone wants precision, but you know, if you what's that great line? If you if you chase precision, you capture excellence or something. You know, there's mm. this sort of there's something in that. But but if you if you can accept that there's going to be a level of fog. That needs to be sort of tempered by the fact that an ambiguous leader, uh, a leader that's not showing authenticity, they can they can create that fog to the point that that people really can't see what they're doing, and and that's not a, a great experience. So for me, operating with people that just bring themselves to work, mm. show what they need to do, that that's uh, that's the the main point. I yeah, think. yeah. I, I think that's a, a really well put. And I've just realised um, how we're doing for time. Yeah, we're doing just fine. Um, we were talking also about white collar psychopaths in business. Yes, and right. uh, what's been your experience of that? Um, because it's it's a changing thing that's going on. Really, isn't it, it is changing, and and society's moving quite quickly in that space. I um, I think as a leader, you can find it can be quite lonely, right? There's no question that the uh, requirements to make decisions and the pressure to do that can it can be quite lonely, and sometimes you can find yourself in the dark, right? That's uh, you know you, you you know metaphorically. Yeah. Um, a really good friend of mine once some you know some years ago said to me, look, you know if you're going to operate in the dark, make sure your moral compass has a backlight. Oh, and and so I thought that was a it's a nice phrase, that, nice thing like to sort that. of come back on. And I think that this this issue around uh, you know white collar psychopaths, it's it's about that that. The direction of travel in the way that you work with people. You can be direct, you can be very clear in your ambitions, you can be very clear on what you need to get done. But if your moral compass wavers too far yeah. and you move towards the bullying or the aggression or the self-serving behaviours, it's it's not going to stand up in, in the next generation of leadership. And, and those that have demonstrated it in all sorts of industries, as we've seen in most recent press, it's not acceptable. No. The no, skill that I, that I think our next generation need to really focus on is EQ, emotional intelligence, right? Yeah. And if that's underpinned by some moral coefficient, then they're going to be good leaders and that's it's going to work. True. Yeah, no, it's very true. And, and you, you got partner at a very early age. I mean, I think it was 2008, wasn't it? That's right, that you yeah. Were, yeah. You were partner, uh, which is incredibly impressive. I mean, you, you, were, you went to the junior division of Staff College, which is like the, the, young, the young sort of uh, up-and-coming stars at, you were one of the youngest a couple of people there mm-hmm. and, and came out very successfully from that course in the top couple. So you've always been uh, successful and doing things on, on the leading edge of things or the bleeding edge, as they <laughs> call it. Um, what do you think? You, you talked about, I love that idea, you talked about the triangle of making partnership in a yes. professional services firm. What, what, what is it that, that the things you have to bear in mind yeah. for those who so, want uh, to go for a partnership or a promotion to managing director? Um, I think it's about, and, and thank you for your kind words about success, it doesn't always feel like that, of course, where you from where you're sitting, but the, the truth is, and anyone that's worked with me will have heard this over and over again, I try and put three uh, elements together in, in any sort of commercial or working environment, and those elements are what I call the beast uh, theatre and real world. I love that beast and theatre, beast and, theatre. and it works, right? Yeah. And and beast is the the mandatory production of information, the reporting, the collation of data, the writing of proposals, that all the stuff that needs to get done, right? The real world is actually out, typically selling or delivering client value or making sure that your purpose as a business is really being tangibly delivered to the wider society. Um, and then the third bit is theatre. Yeah. And theatre is the bit that wraps around the spin and the positioning. And at any stage in your career, you need to work out what balance of those three components is important. Mm. But it is always an element of those three. I think that you see so many people who are fantastic at the beast or the machine, they can just produce. But they don't progress beyond a certain point. 
because they, they, they just they crack did that. the handle, they exactly. just turn it, and they're and very it's transactional. It's transactional, and they haven't worked out Absolutely. relationships and stakeholder management. Exactly, that. and people will use them, and then you see people who really focus on theatre, and at some point they get found out because there is no real world behind them. Yeah. And my focus, I've always tried to focus on real world. I think that if you have, if you have a suitable background and foundation in mm. delivering value for your clients, whatever it is, you then have to work out how best to play those other two. Yeah, that's, I, that's, I, that's, 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 that's really good. Yeah, the beast. Theatre and real world. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is really important that you have it. There's, there's a little bit of the actor, darling, in, in, in yeah. everybody. Yeah. But but not in an inauthentic way. It's a bit about you know exciting people, but not inauthentically saying I'm really excited to be in yeah, frozen, frozen food. Foods. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. No, no, nothing wrong yeah. with being in frozen foods. Of I was course just, not. I was no. just with a client yeah. who does work in frozen yeah. foods. Um, but then no, just the last last uh, couple of minutes. I'm just looking at time. Yeah, we just last couple of minutes. Um, your top tip. I did like your top okay. tip. Do you want to share your top tip with? Uh, I'll, I'll be with delighted to. So I think that whenever you're in any sort of leadership position role, either for yourself or for others, um, it's really important to remember that whilst there's so much written about, you've got to be positive, you've got to be authentic. I always come back to the point that you have choice and making a really tangible acknowledgement that you can choose. There's nobody else making that decision for you. You can choose how to interact with people, what decisions to make, whether or not you want to try something new. If you can remind yourself that you have that choice on a, you know, on a regular basis, I think it just makes it easier to be a, a potentially more successful leader. Yeah, great, Alistair, fantastic. Not at all. Lovely being Pleasure with you. Be Thank here. you for your time. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Jonathan Bowman Perks, and welcome back to uh, the interview I'm doing with Alistair Kett, uh, PwC partner. And this is what I call Inspiring Leadership Extra. Um, Alistair, you were um, fascinating the early part of the conversation, but let's tell a bit about your life and some of the stories and linking into leadership themes that people can enjoy. So tell me a bit about early life. Well, thanks very much for being here. Nice to, nice to carry on the conversation. Uh, I grew up in Birmingham, yeah. schooled in Birmingham, and uh, at the age of about 15, just you know, into my 15th year, I... Uh, decided I thought the army life might be one for me. So I filled out an application on the back of a, I think it was a Sunday Times actually, to, yeah. to, to join. Um, and was lucky enough through a series of interviews and other things to be awarded a scholarship, which not only gave me a little, or my parents a little bit of sort of financial contribution to school and indeed subsequently university, but also gave me a job for life at the age of, the age of 16. I knew that I could go to Sanders at 18 or at 21 if I went through university um, and could be employed up until the age of 55 in wow. doing what I thought at that point was a uh, was going to be a job I was going to really enjoy because yeah. uh, everything I'd done to that point was uh, was was making me believe that. And uh, fast forward to A-levels, you know, went off to Essex University to read economics, um, did the sort of officer training stuff and played a bit of rugby there as well. But also in the summers, spent it with the regiment that I was subsequently going to go and join, the Royal Regiment Fusiliers. And at that point, the 3rd Battalion was training in Germany. So my first summer I went out and whilst we were doing the training, we got, uh, the battalion was mobilised because Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait. Wow. So uh, that was August 1990. And uh, the battalion went from a sort of training footing to a war mobilisation footing. It was fascinating to be around, watching the change of behaviours. And was Isn't Paul it? Nansen there? Paul Nansen was certainly there. You yeah, know, well, the, uh, what yeah, was so he doing when? Um, I'd have to... He was, um, uh, he was one of the... You know, senior young officers, if you yeah, like. Um, yeah. I, and my recollection is that I think he was either... He might have been the recce platoon commander or 
or certainly a you know one of the mm. one of the guys you looked up to at that point because yeah. he was, did you, you know, know his, then that he'd become the commandant of Santa? You know what? It's interesting. There's you know you talk to anybody that's operated around Paul, he has a tremendous sense of authenticity and gravitas, um, and he's a very very personal individual. I yeah. imagine anybody that operates and you know him well as well. Mm. He does he does he does exude that sort of. You know, uh, there's a there's a sort of magnetism that people, you know, mm. you, you just kind of want to be around people like that. So yeah, yeah. Paul was, you know, he stood out. Uh, as did many of the other officers actually. Yeah. Andrew Larpin was a commanding officer there, and he he commanded the battalion very well. Um, so off they went, and I went back to university for my second year. And then after the second year, I came back to the uh, to the battalion, and who who had literally just come back from from fighting a war, and I found myself in a very different battalion. And uh, very early on, the the commanding officer called me in and just said, you know, look. And he remembered me, which is, a, I was a very young man, 19, 20 at that point. And, and he said, look, I remember last time you were out and we'd been off and we fought this war and we're now back. And uh, it's a very different battalion. And yeah. many of the characters that I'd spent a few weeks with previously had come back and they were different individuals. It was a, it was a and the battalion did a fantastic job out there. They were sadly involved in a, in a, a tragic incident involving um, American aircraft accidentally mm. uh, uh, attacked um, some of their armoured vehicles, and, and there was a you know tragic loss of life on the back of that. Uh, and you know, whilst I was many steps detached from all of that, going back to the battalion, you you got that sense. And and the third battalion ultimately rolled into the first battalion a few years later, which is the battalion I joined after. They just after merged the two together. They merged the two together, and. And my initial plans, I, I was going to be joining the 3rd Battalion. By the time I came out of Sandhurst, it didn't exist. It was it was rolled into the 1st Battalion. So the battalion I joined, there were still a number of characters that I'd known from my from my time. And it does, in reflection, it's very clear that they grew up very quickly during that time. Um, and I was, you know, it's only with this benefit of hindsight that you realise that a number of the young officers, the individuals that were responsible for some really difficult things during that time, and indeed the sort of maintenance of resilience and skills and professionalism well after that, they were young men in their mid-20s and late-20s. And at the time, for me, they were senior grown-ups. Mm. With, and now when you look back, you realise what a tremendous amount of responsibility sits on these individuals, which made an indelible mark on me uh, at that early stage of my career because, you know, pretty much to a man they were all very impressive individuals to be around and mm. people that you looked at through a sense of you know admiration and degree of envy um but also just wanting to make note that if at some point in my future career i need to do something impressive in terms of leadership or, or learn from this i need to i need to sort of record what i'm experiencing here yeah and this goes back to what we were talking about a little earlier which is the experience of being well led you don't realize I found myself in I found myself in, in lots of environments being really well led, but you don't really clock it at the time. You just yeah. get on with things and you feel energized and you feel recognized, you feel upbeat and you look forward to being around the people. And you look back a few years later and you think, oh God, I was being really well led in that environment. The counter is when you're not being well led, you know about it in the moment. There's yes. a toxicity, there's a, a sense of, you know, fog and ambiguity. There's quite often a sort of depression or an anger that circulates. People don't spend their time focused mm. on tasks. They spend mm. their time focused on, on on talking about leadership and how things should be different and this isn't right. And and you know about that. You go home that evening with your yeah. spouse and you talk about it. So so I think the um the, the impression Certainly through that career in the military, and I, I went off to join uh, uh, my battalion and did uh, seven really enjoyable years working around some really impressive leaders in that time. 
Um, and subsequently, I guess, as, uh, you know, in business, the leaders that have stood out to me have been those individuals that have really brought their authentic self. Um, and, you know, you've mentioned Paul previously. I can think of a number of individuals. Paul Cleon, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Paul, Paul Manson. Oh, Paul, Paul Manson. As well. Yes, yeah. of course, yeah. I mean, Paul, Paul is a, uh, you know, tremendous PwC leader. Yeah. Paul Manson made that that impact on me uh, as a young man and has subsequently, uh, you know, throughout, you know, just tracking his career. It hasn't surprised me he's ended up where he's, where he's ended up. Yeah. Um, and there are other examples. I think uh, Richard Dannett was my brigade commander in, uh, yeah. in in Bosnia, and I can remember a particular incident. Um, I had a small team of people who were responsible for what was a difficult exercise in, in basically re supporting the relocation of a bunch of individuals who, as a result of the Dayton Peace Agreement, were going to have to relocate and they're going to have to move from where they thought was home to somewhere else. And they had, you know spent a lot of time and effort defending their right to live there. So it was a very politically charged environment. And I'd been out on the ground. There'd been a, a potential incident. Somebody had been seen carrying a weapon and we had to go and investigate it. It was all quite fraught. And, and in, in resolving that incident, I can remember thinking, I'm meeting Brigadier Richard Dannett at the other side of this village uh, about five minutes ago, so I'm going to be late. And, of course, that gets you fretting. And Did you run, you, know, so, you run together? So I actually jumped in the vehicle. We got there. And I was late. And I thought, this isn't going to make a great impression. I hopped out of the car and, you know, one day it was, you know, so I'm really sorry. And he was straight away. He's like, no, don't worry. I said, do you fancy getting a brew on? You know, should we, you know, and he just completely took all the sort of stress out of the environment. It's just two human beings at that point in a, you know, snowy village in the middle of nowhere in, in what was Yugoslavia. And I can remember just sort of thinking, wow, you know. He, he, uh, you he, know, he yeah. was a, a very impressive individual. And uh, uh, I, I do recall when he was, Richard Dunn, was my commanding officer. We um, were in the air mobile role. Yeah. Um, and it was great fun role. And he gave me, I was a, he made me an acting major and I was kind of the screen company, which was really fun. And we had these sort of SAS dune buggies yeah. and light strike vehicles and things. And uh, as we were waiting for the helicopters to come in, he, he asked me, he said, you know, what, what's your life plan? I said, well, I don't have a life plan. He said, well, have a life plan. Because if you don't have a life plan, you'll end up in somebody else's plan. And he said, and guess what they've got planned for you? I said, I don't know. He said, not very much. Yeah. So have a life plan. It may very, change, but have a life plan. And it sounds like yeah. in some ways, mm. you, from very early age, you had quite a life plan um, because you got many, many, I mean, crikey, my, my children, I've got two daughters and a stepson and stepdaughter, and they're all 23 to 27. Now they've, they've got into certain roles or they're trying to get into certain roles, but I don't think they had a life plan at, mm. at 15, 16, whereas you did. Quite remarkable. I, I think that's that's right. And over the sort of you know, last twenty or so years of my you know non-military career, um, I've learned from others. I've, I've I've seen that other people. You know, you cannot be dogmatic about your direction of travel. So your your life plan, in its purest sense, cannot be prescriptive. Yeah. But but what you can do, and I see lots of good leaders doing this, is you can put some boundaries around what is going to be part of your life and what isn't going to be part yeah. of your life. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the concept of choice. Yeah. You know, many people have written about, you know, one of the defining characteristics of leaders is that they make decisions um, or they try something new. For me, that issue of choice and making decisions far, you know, uh, far goes far beyond, you know, shall we use this technology solution or shall we open in this market or sell this product? The decisions are actually much more around morality yeah. and they're about courage. And, and these are the decisions that, for me, really mark leaders out. Yeah. And you can put some parameters around where you want to go. And we've talked about the moral compass. We've talked about, 
and if you operate in the dark, you need a backlight, all these sorts of yeah, things. It's very good. I, 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 and I, I try and live by that because, you know, one of the phrases that I find quite frustrating is this issue of, you know, black and white and operating in the grey. Because nobody gets precision in business, right? That, that is not there. The forecast window is now 400 days. Beyond that, nobody can predict anything yeah. with any real certainty. So precision doesn't exist. You, you know, that makes things difficult. However, the boundaries between right and wrong, mm. for me, there is no grey matter. There is no middle ground. You know, the fact is individuals will set those boundaries. My, my right or wrong can be completely different to somebody else's. But if you define them and you stick by them, I think you are becoming a lot more authentic. Yeah. If people know that you're going to operate in a particular way, even if you're going to operate outside of what I would consider to be appropriate morality, they kind of know what they're dealing with. Yeah. Unpredictability of leaders um, is, is something which I think can be really damaging. Uh, and, and this is what we're missing, I think we discussed uh, separately in politics these days, that, that there's such... Uh, a dearth of really inspiring leaders with a clear moral compass of what they will and what they won't do and the consistency of knowing what they stand for, whether it be putting some logos on a bus or changing their mind or saying they're going to die over something and then not having to do that. I, I think um, finding leaders who are inspiring, who've perhaps been in the military or they, they've been in business and never in the military, but they, they have these qualities that make them stand out. They're exceptional and it's a great force multiplier and they're worth every penny. Yeah. And <clears throat> people, I don't think, put enough of a value and a price on really good leadership. I'd agree. And, and I think it's also changing. I think the ecosystem for this next generation around their expectations of leadership, it's a much flatter world. Yes. You know, without going down that, you know, we, we could talk forever about what goes on in a millennial's mind and everyone will have a view on that. But my experience is that the next generation see leadership much more as a as a team role, yes, as opposed to a a functional position at the top of something. You know, yeah. who's going to lead this task, as opposed to what does a leader want from me today? It's, um, a, it's a choice rather it than is a rank choice. Exactly or a right. That's exactly uh, right. Someone yeah. said beautifully that um, it used to be command and control. It's now environmental control. Wow. That, yeah. that in command and control, you were a puppet master or a chess master, moving mm -hmm. all the pieces. In environmental control, you're a gardener creating yeah. the right ecosystem where things will flourish and people will bring out their best qualities. And you talked about this with uh, psychometrics and knowing yes. yourself. Do you want yes. to say a bit more about that? Yeah, I think it's really important, particularly for generations of individuals who are currently in leadership roles, to remind themselves of the absolute important need to continually know who you are, who you've become, where you've come from. Because it changes the environmental mm -hmm. factors you're talking about. Individuals, you know, you get older, you have different priorities, you have different insecurities, different vulnerabilities. And unless you stay on top of that, you're not necessarily fully aware of the impact you're having on others on a, on a regular basis. Mm. So, you know, one thing I try and do, I think it's an important tip that's been given to me, is to go back to those um, exercises and, uh, and things you do which are typically forced by an event. It might be a promotion panel or it might be a job interview. It might be You go through an exercise of, right, I'm really going to tune up on all this. And actually, you shouldn't be tuning up on that because of an event. You should be tuning up on that because if you don't, you're losing traction with the impact you're having with those around you. And if you are in a leadership role, the impact you have on others is far greater than the impact they have on you. That is so true. And, and someone uses, you know... Uh 
be aware of the shadow that you cast as a leader because it's yes. a very long one and, and you think yeah. so this yourself. Your impact is far greater than you realise. Make sure it's a positive one. People forget what you say, they forget what you do, but they never forget how you make them feel. That was yes. something that I think that that's we exactly talked right. About. Yeah. The and, and getting back to that point around morality as well, it does kind of come full circle because today's environment pushes people to have clear answers. The abundance of data, the abundance of knowledge means that in the olden days, you know, I'll get back to you on that or I'm not entirely sure was was broadly acceptable. There'd be mm. a sort of a period of pause whilst people went off to do some research. Nowadays, it's expected that the answer is there. Yeah. What is the most profitable market for us? What what What's the sales point for this product in this particular team? You know, all these sorts of things. And therefore, leaders are less inclined to say, I don't know. They're more inclined to, to either wing it or say what they think is right. And sometimes that language gets cloudy. Sometimes the ambiguity of that language brings a question into the trust or into the authenticity coefficient. And that can be quite damaging. I think you bring out a really good point. And and I find that um, in some of the leaders I'm working with, I'm having to get them from the the boiler room where they're stoking coal into the furnace of an old ship up onto the bridge. And when they're on the bridge, then they can spot the iceberg three miles out and yeah. say, course correct, one degree starboard. Um, but many of them love being down in the boiler room, stoking mm. coal. And they almost say to their own leaders, you need to know every bit of detail all the way down to the finest detail yeah. of what goes on. Why don't you know it? You know, here we are. I- I'm running, you know, a big bank. Let's mention one of, one of the situations which is real. You know, why don't you know the finest detail as one of the board members about saying now that? So they all get down in the detail, which means they're doing someone's job about a few levels down below them. And people aren't getting back up and empowering them. Yeah. They're, they're, they're expecting to know an awful lot of detail. So like one person said to me in another bank, they said the boss came round and he did his deep dives and everybody yes. feared it. And they would run for cover when this, this, this guy who was a bully would go around doing his deep dives. And one of them said, oh, I just I learned what to do. I said, how did you survive? He said, I just made up numbers. He said, what's this? And I just just quit without any without any blush. I just gave him my number. I went, oh, that's wrong. I mean, yeah. like, don't lie about it. But but that was the way to survive. Yeah, and I make see sense. That. Yeah, and, and I, I can only see that sort of getting more so as we digitize further and more data is available. Um, you know, this, I mean, there's so much written about leadership versus management. I won't go into that now, but there's definitely a... a a management coefficient which demands data only so that that data can then be played up to another uh, another body. Yeah. If at any point people stop and said, well, what's the purpose in all of this? Yes. No, nobody can answer. Oh, uh, that's a great one. Uh, the, the, the big question, why? Yeah. So, yeah, I'll see, uh, final couple of minutes, your um, top tips um, to pass on to other leaders. What, what would be your top tips? Um, so we've talked about being positive. I think that's really important and the impact you can have. And, and we talked a little bit around the issue of making choices. You know, you, you have to make choices and you, you, you define yourself, I think, by the, the way that those choices are made. Um, I've seen so many good leaders that it's really difficult to pick out one particular thing. But the, this issue of authenticity does stand out. Make a choice about being yourself and knowing yourself. You give yourself a competitive edge yes. in that environment. That's good. Um, and I think the other, the other tip that I would throw in is just about trying something new. The leaders that I remember are the leaders that sort of broke the mould by yeah. just doing something even if it didn't work entirely you sort of remember them for that yeah, yeah. and that, that gives you quite a nice uh, nice sort of legacy to look back to brilliant Alistair thank you thank I've you. really thoroughly enjoyed our yeah, conversations today we've had some really good chats and I'm sure the listeners will get a lot from what you've shared so Alistair thank you very much. PwC partner thank you thank you
So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.